I began to work on the prototypes only if it works in my head. I would love to live in your head for just about 10 minutes. I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Cardboard Herald. My chance to talk with creative gamers and game creators. And my guest today, you know from designing or co-designing loads of hits, including some of my favorite games, ranging from Cyclades to King Domino to Five Tribes and about a bajillion other titles. Welcome back to the show, Bruno Catala. How you doing, man? Fine, fine, I'm fine. I'm, I'm happy to, to see you again. Yeah, well, last time that we had a chance to talk, it was under very different world circumstances. I mean, We were still talking about board games, and we were still talking about game design, and also we talked about a bunch of other stuff, cycling, music, but 2021 is uh, is a very different world. And one thing I wanted to know is, as such an experienced and prolific game designer such as yourself, has the, the global pandemic impacted how you do business how you make games design games yes for sure it has i had an impact on on my job for sure uh first i think i have to say that i was afraid not not speaking about the the covid itself but about how it would um change all these social relations because for me gaming means making creating social relations between people and as far as you are maybe alone at home uh, how could we deal with that so i was afraid of the consequences of this pandemic with all the lockdown situation yeah of course so that means that immediately i've searched how to work differently. That means that immediately I went on TTS, a tabletop simulator, to understand how it works and to put my prototypes on that kind of platform just to be able to go on to uh, with my job, development job, with my co-designers because we were very, we are very far. And it was impossible to meet again. So we had to find another way to meet and to play together. And for sure, for some games, that kind of uh, electronic device uh, doesn't help. If you make a party game in which you have to uh, run around the table, you you cannot do it. But if you make more strategical games, it was a way to go on with my partners. And it was also a way to present prototypes to publishers. And that's what I did during the first lockdown. And during that period, I signed three games. Just because I had time to develop them, I had playtester at home because I was uh, at home with my uh, girlfriend, which is a gamer, and her daughter, which is 11, and which also a gamer that that helps i had people to play test i had tabletop simulator or other ways to play with my partners it was possible for me to present the game to publishers so at least it doesn't um created so much trouble for me from for my for my business uh but it created um how to say um 
frustration because for me, like I said, gaming is social relations and I have no more contact with gamers because this is something which is very important for me. I'm making games for myself and then I want to share them. But there was no uh, game event. All had been cancelled. Right, right. So it created frustration. So I, I tried to find other way to share things with people, with players. So I, I've always been quite present on, on social medias. But I imagine that maybe uh, giving something that means offering print and play uh, variations on some of my games could be a good way to stay, to keep in touch with all these people that I couldn't see anymore. So, and that's what I did during all this period. Oh, that, that makes total sense. And, and you mentioned something earlier that some games just don't logistically work out on something like Tabletop Simulator. Do you feel like any of those three games during that initial lockdown period were shaped based off of the limitations that you did have? Like, did they come out maybe different in some way than had you not been in a pandemic? Not really, because if you know uh, my my games, most of them are immediately adaptable on that kind of, uh, of platform. So uh, it has not changed my mind, in fact. I... <laughs> I think that uh, I try to find always solutions um, for the, 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 the informatic to be an help and right. not to be uh, something which will format my ideas. How difficult was it to learn Tabletop Simulator? Because I know that I'm someone who ha I get lots of invites to check out games on Tabletop Simulator. I have friends who play on TTS. And nonetheless, I, I hop on there and I feel like I'm completely inept and I have to relearn it every time <laughs> I do. Uh, there are a lot of people who had to adapt to it over the, the course of the pandemic. Was it easy, intuitive for you, or was it a bit of an uphill climb? No, it was, it was quite easy, but uh, because um, I had the support of some other uh, players or game designers or publishers, which mm -hmm. still had an experiment uh, with, um, with that. And if I was alone just with the interface, it would have been a nightmare. <laughs> it's not very user-friendly. Right, right. Just, it's in between. You know, some things are very nice and some other things, how, how, to, how to understand how it works. So, And you have also to imagine that all is in English, which is not my native language, which is for sure uh, a little more difficult for me. So, but I had the chance uh, that some uh, friends did still know the interface quite well. And I spent some time with them by Skype, mm -hmm. sharing screen and learning in maybe just half an hour. I had all the major things I needed to do my job. And it was then quite easy uh, to make my first games on that. But my, my prototypes on Tabletop are, are not uh, nice. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care to have something which is nice. I just right. want to be able to play test. And if I want to make something very nice, I do it at home for myself, mm -hmm. not on that platform. 
Is that something that's changed over the course of your career? Because I know like some of the advice that a lot of experienced designers that I've talked to have said exactly that. Don't worry about making your prototype nice. Make it functional, something that you can use, but you're not worried about making changes, iterative changes as you go, make adjustments because what you're likely playing isn't going to be the final version. Don't sweat the details. Just make sure you got the functional game. Was there a time where you were making your prototypes as nice as could possibly be? No, because no. I don't. I, I don't like to waste time. <laughs> so, and 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 frankly speaking, I think that it's a mistake to do it. Uh, just because, as game designer, we have to focus on the engine, right? And the publisher will focus about making it nice. And if I do the job of a publisher, uh, that means that I'm not focused on my real job. That makes sense. You know, you also were talking about how games are such a fundamental social experience for you. And something that I've thought about a lot of, both in terms of just where we are as a hobby and in terms of the, the um, COVID pandemic, is solo gaming. Solo gaming is so much more prevalent than it has been in the past, uh, and certainly so much more so than when you were releasing like Shadows Over Camelot in 2005. What are your thoughts on solo gaming? <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting topic. <laughs> <laughs> because for myself, right. I have no real uh, wish to play solo. I. It's, it's not my cup of tea. If, if I want to play uh, alone, mm -hmm. I prefer to, to take my Switch and play on my screen to make a video game, for example. Yeah. So that means it's not my taste. But I, I have, I, I'm looking at what is, uh, how the, the, the gaming world is, is mm -hmm. moving, and I can see that uh, it's something which is becoming more and more important. Right. So, and what I don't like is to see solo variants which of my own games, which have been developed by anyone, uh, which have posted them on BGG, for example, uh, because my games are my games, and uh, and if I want to make a solo version, I will develop it myself. Oh, okay. So, yes, I I don't like when there are when there are some. Um, unofficial uh, add-on to my games. That's interesting. I, I, I don't think that I've met anyone who has that stance. I can understand it for sure. I will, and, I, and I can explain why. Yeah, tell me. There is there is a reason for that, but let's go on, on solo version. That means that as far as I understand that it's something which is becoming important, mm -hmm. that means that I take care of trying to do something when it's possible. Sure. And you have seen that during the pandemic with Antoine, we have uh, uh, offered a print-and-play solo version of Seven Wonders Duel. Which is excellent. Yes, and which which won the prize. Yeah. Which won the, the BGG uh, Golden Medal. So. Yeah, the Golden Geek is a well-deserved prize. Exactly, Golden Geek, exactly, that's it. So that means that when it's possible, now I'm focused on it, but I do it myself. Mm-hmm. I don't play a lot, but I want something which is okay for me. That means that for me, a good solo version has to be um, simple. Right. It does not to, to be more complicated 
that the, the, the original game. That, that means that if you are always in front of situation that if, then, if, then, if, then, but if, for me, <laughs> yes, it can work, but it makes no sense for me. Yeah. Some people can love that, but, but not, not me. It has to keep the same taste of the initial game. That means, because very often, solo games are quite a different game. And I don't like that because I want that it keeps the game experience I want to create. Yeah. And the first thing is that you have to be, you can lose. You must uh, have a possibility to lose. It yeah. has not to be just trying to make the best score as possible because it makes no sense. Imagine you are lucky, you play well, and you make an incredible score. You never want to play a game because you know that it's quite impossible to do it better. So that means that it's like we are playing a, a solitaire games, the card game. You want to play it again because very often you are losing. So you want to try again to try to beat the game. So a good solo game has to have that inside for me. What I, and that I try to create. And that we did, for example, with uh, Trek 12. Trek 12 includes a solo mode and it keeps all these three patterns for me. That's it. So, and you know, I'm developing yet a game which is named Orishalk, which will be published next year by a French publisher named Catch Up. And uh, uh, the publisher asked us to develop a solo mode. At first, I say no, because I had no good idea, but at least it came. And now we, we have a solo mode which, which will be included inside. So that means that as far as I'm in position to respect these three rules I said before, I'm okay to do a solo version. Well, those sound like excellent rules that you would have for yourself. And also, as someone who has talked a lot about solo gaming in the past year and a half, those are a lot of the things that I look for in good solo games as well. They should feel like good approximations of the multiplayer experience. You should have a way of losing, so that way you actually have some sort of variance from game to game. I, I, I think those are excellent design decisions, but... I, I am interested to hear kind of your your thoughts on why you don't really like seeing fan variants because to me, you know, let's say I have a copy of Five Tribes, which I do. It's on my shelf. It's one of my favorite games. Um, but if I have a copy of Five Tribes and then I had a game group, but I've since moved to another community and I don't have that same game group. And so I think about it. And I'm like, man, Five Tribes is one of my favorite games. I wonder if I can figure out some way that I can have fun with this and enjoy it in a way that kind of approximates the feelings I have with it normally. And then I go, hey, this kind of worked out. I'm just going to throw it out there on BGG. If anyone else wants to play it, here's what I came up with. I can see that as the, the innocent version of what someone's doing and coming up with any sort of variant, not just solo variants, but variants that they come up with. Generally, I'm against house rules when it comes to games, um, and solo variants are in a way uh, a house rule. But I, I do want to hear kind of your perspective as the career game designer on authorial intent and and why you want official versions of these solo modes. 
Um, first, I have to say that when people love my game so much that they want to uh, add something from themselves inside, I'm very happy. Mm -hmm. I'm proud of that. And I'm really, uh, and I agree that they do it for themselves. The problem is to publish it. And I will understand why. In fact, if if I'm working on an expansion or of any add-on on one of my games, first, I have to develop it. Mm-hmm. Then I have to convict my publisher, which can take time. Then it has to be, uh, it has, you have to make the artwork, the publisher has to make the artwork, then it has to be produced and released. That means that since my initial sparkling idea and the release, it takes from one to two years. Okay. During that time. If you, on your side, you are developing something, you have your ID, you develop it, you place it on the internet. It's very fast for you. And that means that I'm working on some things which can be quite close to yours. And then when my IDs comes, they could, it could seem as I have copied what you did. I see. And this is something which is really problematic for me. I'm not comfortable with that. That means that it's like people, um, they, they can't imagine that uh, this way, I could, people could think that I'm just waiting for ideas and keeping them to publish them, in fact. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not an easy uh, situation for us as game designers. I've heard similar things in the past, not within the specific context, but actually when I used to be a really avid Legend of the Five Rings card game player, and I'm talking not the fantasy flight, but back in the day with the AEG, uh, the fan community was very dedicated, but one of the things that anyone uh, would say within the the community is if you have an idea for a card do not post it publicly because that will never happen like AEG will officially say we cannot do this specific card or you know this idea because the risk the liability of being seen as taking someone else's uh, information or you know if you actually have a suggestion then contact Uh, them directly you know and provide that as a suggestion Um, and I hadn't thought about that in years uh, but it makes sense within this context I just try to explain my my point of view and and I can uh, and people are free to do what they want Mm -hmm. and I won't never uh, say them don't do that if you want to do that do it but don't use the official pictures don't use the logos of the game don't use the icons of the games because this is protected and this is as far as you what you are doing is not official don't take these images until you could have some problems in fact during this conversation we brought up uh, a lot of games so far you've mentioned um track 12 and then we've also uh, mentioned some uh, examples shadow over camelot seven wonders duel uh, you are someone who has worked collaboratively with so many game designers uh, and some of the, your biggest hits are co-designed games when you are working on game ideas 
at what point do you say this would be a better co-design to work on with someone else or this is something that you want to take to completion yourself? It depends from where the idea starts because very often the ideas are starting speaking with someone. So if uh, an idea come when I, I'm speaking with Antoine or with Bruno Feduti or never, for sure, I want to develop a game with that person because it makes no sense for me to do it alone. And mm. then it depends of, of, of the situation. You know, you know uh, for me, I still explain that uh, creating means adopting. And adopting alone is less comfortable than adopting <laughs> someone else. <laughs> yeah. When I offer someone to make a co-design uh, with me, it's just because it's some someone I love and I want to do I want to share something special with him or her, never mind. And the um, the only situation where, where it was calculated is for Dragomino. Because I wanted to do a kid version of King Domino, but I had no experiments for child, child games. And Wilfried and Marie Faure, which are famous French designers, they have something special with, um, with child, uh, games for children. Sure. And that's the reason why I met them on a game event and I went to them. We, we had no uh, relationship, real relationship at this time, just saying hello. And I say, I have this project in mind. Would you like to, to go with me? Because I think I need your skills. And then we work together. But it's, it's the only situation where it was calculated. All the others, it's just a question of friendship and... It comes at what time? That's it. You know, last time that we talked, we talked about some of the games that really inspired you when you were a, a young designer and wanting to, you know, make your impact on the gaming world. Have there been games over the last couple of years where it's kind of changed your perspective on games or, or really made a profound impact on you? I don't know if I spoke about this one uh, last time we, we spoke together, but I think the game would change something in my mind is Risk Legacy from Rob Davio. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was... So, it changed everything. Yeah, definitely. And probably it had... I didn't thought of, of that before, but probably it had an impact of what we did on Trek 12. It's, it's not a legacy, but uh, you have some hidden content that you will you will get and the more and more your progress. It's not a legacy, but it's something which is like that kind of a game experience, in fact. Yes, I think that uh, definitely uh, Rob Davio with his legacy system uh, changes all, all, all the situation. Well, let's talk about the, the new game, the new hotness, Trek 12 here. Uh, and I, I love hearing that. Uh, this was a game that actually prompted me contacting you and being like, Bruno, it's been a while. We should talk about this. Uh, the, the game concept sounds great. Uh, tell me about Trek 12. What was the, the genesis of this design? The genesis of this design uh, comes from more than 10 years ago. <laughs> wow. Reaching back. You know, um, now it's, it will next year, 
mm -hmm. I will have been designing games for 20 years. <laughs> so that means that for sometimes I have sometimes some um, uh, how to say I, I have to make some some meetings, some some talkings in front of other people, and uh, very often when people ask me uh, uh, how to start a game, I'm thinking about starting from the team starting mm -hmm. from the mechanism or starting from the components which are the, the free starting point for me never um, uh, losing in mind uh, that, that at the end which is important is the game experience and all these free spots are only tools to create something and when i want to give an example for what is starting from a mechanism for years i was saying you roll two dice and then you can make the sum, you can multiplicate them, you can take one or the other, the, the highest value, the lowest value, you can make the difference, etc. And now, this is a mechanism. It's just out there. I had the mechanism in mind, but I had no idea what to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> but I kept that in mind. And, and we were in SN18, I think, probably. Or 19, the last lesson, yes, it was it was in 19. 19, yeah, pre-pandemic. With uh, with uh, Corentin Lebras, mm -hmm. and Corentin said, "Ah, oh, I've played during the mess. I, I've I've played uh, a, a very nice uh, small uh, run and write games. Oh, we have to do our our run and write games, <laughs> and and this remind me my my mechanism, and I say." Yes, why not? And we started to discuss with that, and we found what to do with it. And uh, But at first, it was only a mathematical game. There was no story. It was just mathematical, and it was working very well. We presented it to um, Lumberjack, mm -hmm. and he fell in love with the concept, but he wanted absolutely to have a story. And then it took us maybe three or four months to find a story which could work uh, with this mathematical mechanism. At first, I really thought that there was no possibility that the game has to stay abstract. And I'm happy that I changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly, I'm living in the mountains in, in, in France, and mm. I imagine some alpinism uh, way, etc. and I say, Yes, that's it. And immediately it works. And we developed the game uh, like this, and it has been quite quite successful here in France. I don't know how it works in the other countries, but uh, yes. And then the, the publisher asked us to go further, to go, and then we imagine to have this story with hidden content, etc., etc. I'm really glad that the theme actually worked in integrating into the existing design. And that's something that I think a lot of people find surprising for even uh, some of the most popular thematic games that they start with a mechanical origin or a different design. Like I, I was doing a retrospective on the 1979 Dune game, which a lot of people hold up as one of the most thematic and immersive games to have existed, or at least for a long time, it was one of the most uh, thematic and immersive games to have existed. And 
some of the accolades that are given to the game are how well it represents the the written material but that game didn't actually start as a dune game it, it started as something else and then it was then pasted on the, this term that's used as a as a uh, I guess an insult to a lot of games these days. Oh, a pasted on theme. Well, Dune was pasted onto this uh, during development and it worked out beautifully. Um, when you are designing a game, is is it typical for you to start strictly with the, me the mechanics or do you ever start from a thematic perspective? And sometimes from the components. For example, King Domino, uh, the starting idea is to do a game with dominoes. There is no mechanism, there was no team at, at first. It was just using the components, this specific component to do something, which is an, another way to, uh, to start something. Um, for me, I would say that um, in, in more than, in quite 70% of, of my starting points are coming from a, mecha a mechanism. And then I'm thinking of what kind of story could fit with that. And immediately, uh, the story uh, has consequences on, on the mechanism, which has consequences of the stories. And, and I try, I, I'm not saying that I succeed each time, but I try to do that all seems to, to be uh, really uh, going together since the beginning. You are, like you said, coming up on 20 years of game design. And as I started out this interview, you've been very prolific and you also have some of the most notable games under your belt at this point. Do you ever feel in competition with yourself trying to outdo games that you've done in the past or feel like some of the designs that you come up with ideas for, you end up scrapping because they're too close to any of the numerous games that you've already put out? Uh, for, for me, it's, it's absolutely not a competition. It's not a competition with myself and it's not a competition with the other designers. Uh, I just do. It's quite selfish, in fact. I'm always working of a game I want to play myself. And I'm designing games for my own taste. And then I try to convict people to follow my path. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. And so so there is there is no competition. It just and I I don't need to do a new game. I want to do a new game, which makes a difference. That means that uh, sincerity, I think in what in what I'm doing is real. Uh, if I don't have this sincerity, I'm quite sure that people won't follow me because uh, I don't know but how, but they will feel that. They, they, they will... No, I... So, since the beginning, my way to work was the same. And it was, I'm designing the games I want to myself. It, if I have not enough money with that, I do something else aside. And if the day where money will come uh, in a sufficient way, I will stop my side job. And it's what I did, in fact. For years, I, I made my own design and I was working in a game shop as a seller. I was uh, creating games for uh, private companies uh, for advertising. I was making some uh, 
some demonstration extra, a, a lot of small side jobs, which gave me my money. Today, I'm lucky enough to be able to focus only on my designs. But I'm not doing them because I need to do one game more. It's just because it's, it's important to me. It's my games are what I am, in fact. It's always a little of myself in the box. So that's the reason why I'm going on and without any competition feeling. So there are games that you're passionate about. What about the people in your home? I mean, you mentioned your, your girlfriend's a gamer, uh, the 11-year-old daughter in the home. Um, do they always react positively to a, a game where you're like, oh, here's a new idea that I put together? No, not always. <laughs> <laughs> For sure not, uh, but, but it's it's very important for me to have some sincerity at home. Right. Because uh, I don't want them to say to me, hey, you are a genius. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need that. Right. I just need to have an objective point of view, uh, which I can agree or not. But sometimes I'm doing games which are not focused to that kind of public. So, But, but it's always interesting to me to have another side on my job. There's the Bruno Catala who makes the the uh, tons of small and delightful games, the uh, King Dominoes, the Game of Thrones, Hands of the Kings of the World. Uh, and then there's also the Bruno Catala who makes uh, Cyclades, Shadows Over Camelot, uh, Cleopatra, you know, um, Yamatai, Five Tribes. Do you try to balance out the scale of games that you're designing, or is it really just instinct, whatever comes into your mind, whatever you feel like playing and pursuing? No, it's exactly the second way. That means that uh, at one at one time, there is an idea which comes and which I, I need to go on. And never mind for me if it's a small or middle or, or a more heavy game. I, I, I don't care. It's what I want to do now. So uh, And... I'm always following this this instinct. Speaking of Cyclades, I have to ask this. Comet just got like this big, beautiful new edition. Uh, you're holding something up in front of me, and I, I gotta know more. Um, Cyclades was a, a majorly impactful game on my own development as a, a gamer and becoming more interested in the world of... Uh, game design and development and how games were made um, and it's also a very impactful game I think for many designs that have come subsequently a lot of people point to that game as uh, a source of inspiration are, are we kind of at a finishing stage for Cyclades as it was would we see a new edition that consolidates or revamps Cyclades in the future yes are we getting more expansions what what's the what's on the horizon for it it's a long story <laughs> uh, I started we started Cyclades with uh, Matagots but with Isham, which was the owner of Matagot at this time. And uh, for some different reasons, um, the, the, the society has split, mm -hmm. and Isham is no more, which was the, the creator of, um, of Matagot, is now uh, in uh, her head a new company, which is Studio H. Studio H. So when there was a splitting, we took our rights back, just not not because any, uh, just because right, right. this game was started with Isham, and we wanted 
to go ahead with him. And that means that we also thought with Ludovic that it was the time to reboot completely the game. And what I was showing you <laughs> is just a picture of a part of a new board because I'm working, I've worked today deeply <laughs> on that project. <laughs> and we are working to relaunch the game, which will still be the Cyclades, you know, but with different boards, etc. Because, you know, in Cyclades, there are a lot of things. There was the basic box, then the first expansion, the second one with uh, the Titans, and, uh, and some other small expansions, etc. All of this was modular, but for us now, all of this together is too much. I agree. And it's too much, and I think that people don't really know what to take, making their own choice, etc. It has been built like to be modular, but, but I think that most people... There are two situations. They try to play all together, which is too much, mm -hmm. or they don't know how, what to choose. And our vision is to try to do something we could name like the director's cut version of Cyclades. And we it. are working on it. And we try, uh, we really try to, to, to boost the game. That means that it has to be shorter. You know, at first, it was not our intention, but uh, you have to, to win, you just need to build two metropoles. Right. And uh, hard gamers, they don't want to build one and taking the risk to lose it. So that means that they try to play, being in position to get their two metropoles on the same turn. Mm -hmm. And this goes to a game which is much more longer than what we wanted. And that's the reason why we have changed some things inside, just to have a game going very fun, uh, to be more fast. We want to play it in less than one, one hour. 45 minutes to one hour would be, for us, the good target. That is quite the consolidation, especially with all the concepts going on. But in a lot of ways, this is some of the most exciting news that I've gotten uh, in a while in gaming. Uh, but it's also something that uh, myself, as someone who's played games for ages at this point, um, since I was a kid and mentioning Legend of the Five Rings, but uh, also uh, playing big box tabletop games, I love seeing revamping new editions of some of my favorite games that maybe got expansions along the way, but it could become a more cohesive experience if it were, you know, put out in this, this new director's cut. So this is, this is exciting. Do you have any thoughts on what kind of time frame this is looking at? No, because uh, for us, um, the game is, enfin, the, the work is not finished yet uh, mm -hmm. as uh, on game design uh, situation. So I think that uh, we will have a version which will be fully uh, designed for Ludovic and me before end of the year. And then it has to be decided how to publish it. Uh, will it be a basic box? Will it be by Kickstarter? Uh, I don't know what uh, my, how our new publisher is, uh, is planning for that. We have a meeting uh, next weekend because there is a game event in France. Uh, we will be together and we will have a discussion for that. But uh, um, I think you, you have nothing to expect until end of next year or beginning of 2003. Yes. Yep, 2023. Well, that's up 
about as exciting of a tease as I could possibly get. And I could spend all this time poking apart possible details on Cyclades, but uh, in the interest of time, I, I, I do want to hit on a couple other games that are right on the horizon. We already covered Trek 12, which is coming out before the end of this year, if things are moving smoothly. Uh, but then yeah. you also have... King Domino Origins and Nicodemus. Yes. So tell me about these games. So during the lockdown, I published uh, a print and print version, which is King Domino The Court. And it includes a way to uh, um, use resource management into King Domino. Right. But it would be too expensive to produce that kind of expansion. And I love it. <laughs> uh, because you know the, the game itself King Domino is not that expensive and to produce that kind of expansion the box will cost the same price as the, as the basic box that means mm -hmm. that you won't sell anything but the reason and I was uh, I had to deal with the existing components and it creates a little unbalanced thing because some resources are coming on the small numbers which is an advantage and it breaks the way that, uh, that in King Domino, when you take a small tile, uh, a small number, uh, you will have the first pick on the next turn, but you, you take something which is not very useful. And if you take the last one, the highest number, you will make a lot of points, but you will take what is still there when it's your turn on the next turn. And the resources with the court uh, break, uh, broke a little that uh, that balance, mm -hmm. which is okay for a print-and-play print version, but not for, for a game on the market. So I decided to, uh, to do a new King Domino from the beginning, which is in a prehistoric uh, atmosphere. And to balance exactly the, the tiles the way I needed, to include this resource management with small resources, uh, with small tokens like mammoths, like silex, like mushrooms, which are coming on the tiles. You can collect them, you can spend them to recruit some characters you place on, on, on the tiles and give you some extra, extra points. And it was also a way for me to introduce a new kind of, uh, of uh, square of uh, territory which is mm -hmm. the volcanoes and you know in prehistoric version there is no clones so the multiplying factors is fire okay I, I like it I like it it's Promethean it's a, it's a fire war <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes are coming with fire but the volcano can project some fire and you can increase the values of, of some uh, specific territories with some extra uh, fire tokens this way. And this box is very interesting because it, you have three different levels inside. You can play it very, very simply with family and child without the resources, just having the volcanoes uh, spending some fires, okay? But if you add the resources, then you have a second way to play, which is a little more difficult, but not, not much. Which is just a mature, you have a majority race on all the kind of resources. And at least, which is the most interesting, but the most complicated, you can 
use the collect various tools and, and use them to buy new elements to score points. So in a single box, you have three different ways to play, and it's quite a complete and solid experience, in my opinion. And is there any sort of integration? I know like Queen Domino, there was the possibility of integrating with uh, other games. No, no, it's a, it's a completely standalone version. And, uh, and there won't be any expansion for that. It's uh, it's uh, one shot. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a bow tied on it. And then tell me about Nicodemus. I mean, the name alone is alluring. What's going on with Nicodemus? Maybe you know a game which is named Imaginarium. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Nicodemus is a pure two-player game in the same team than Nicodemus. Oh, okay. So it's, it's also a game I designed with Florian Siriex. Uh, we made Imaginarium together. And then, uh, together, we built a pure two-player game. And at the end, we were looking for, for, for a team. And yes, but it was so evident that it could be the same story as uh, the same kind of atmosphere as Imaginarium. It makes sense. We presented it to our publisher and he said, yes, for sure, we have to do it. So it's a two-player game in the, in the same atmosphere than Imaginarium, but it's a very different game. It's not Imaginarium for two players because Imaginarium still works well at two players. It's a different game in the same uh, field, in the same uh, atmosphere. That sounds awesome. And both Nicodemus and King Domino Origins, are those both coming out before the end of 2021? Yes, the um, King Domino is scheduled for um, beginning of October. And Nicodemus uh, should be released something like end November. Do you ever sleep? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like over the course of the time in which it took to do this interview, you probably came up with like six new ideas for board games, or you could have in the same amount of time. But you know, an idea, uh, an idea doesn't make a game. I guess that's a good way to, to leave it, uh, because we've talked a lot about your output and, you know, that you have been so prolific. Uh, but I think it's important for people to realize that you are a full-time game designer. And for as many amazing games as have come out, you've probably scrapped tons of games. Not so much. Not so much? Not no. so much? I, oh, I, that really I think, surprises I think, me. Frankly speaking, I think that uh, behind me, I have probably since the beginning five prototypes for which are uh, which are, have not been successful finding a publisher. And, and how old are those prototypes? Sometimes uh, fifteen years or. <laughs> <laughs> so that but, means that you're actually holding on to them in some ways. But, but you know, it's 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 connected to the way I'm working. That mm -hmm. means that before making something, before working on a prototype, I'm just thinking the most as possible when I have a, a sparkling idea how it could work. And as far as I'm not in position to imagine very interesting gaming situation, I don't start a prototype. That means that probably some of my colleagues have more uh, wasted prototype because just because as, uh, immediately when they have an idea, they begin to, to build something. I don't do that. I prefer to, to focus on imagining situation and um, I began to work on the prototypes only if it works in my head.
I would love to live in your head for just about 10 minutes. I'm not sure. Well, Bruno, I am so glad to have had you back on the Cardboard Herald. You are looking happy and healthy and excited. And in spite of all the things that are going on in the world right now, you're still putting out games and I am loving it. Uh, This has been such a pleasure and I'm looking forward to seeing everything on the horizon, especially that Cyclades revamping. That sounds so cool. The director's cut. Thanks for coming on to the show, Bruno. Thank you very much. 